I have to uh, be honest with you, Ash Wednesday is um, kind of a love-hate relationship with Ash Wednesday. It's one of my favorite services in the sense that I, I really appreciate the meaning behind it. Um, I think we tend to live in a society that celebrates and thinks we're going to live forever. And, and, and you know, life is just so fragile. I, I started out this week doing great, and then, like, Six things happened, and I just felt like my whole life was going to fall apart. And I don't know, you probably had weeks like that before. Life is just so fragile, and we forget that. Uh, I kind of hate it as well because I actually don't like ashes on my face, which I get it is the point. Um, you're not supposed to enjoy it. <laughs> but uh, I got some sensory issues with that. Um, and, and to be fair, like I, I actually um, I, I, I live in a 100-year-old house, and we've been... I do a lot of work on it, so I've I've take I've gone into the attic and I've gutted some stuff, and I get this dust on my face. And I've posted pictures before; it's real bad. And I've been doing some work in the attic uh, the last couple of weeks, or the last couple of days, and it's like this really black dirt. Um, a friend of mine said it was probably coal dust, actually, because the house is that old. And there was a I know there's a coal hatch in the basement um, that just kind of gets into the attic and stuff. So. I feel like I've celebrated Ash Wednesday the last three days, honestly. So I feel like I'm good, but uh, I'm kidding. You, you know. But that—that's part of the point. Is you know, um, we live most of our life in the nice part of our house, and if you've ever built a house, you don't realize how much goes into making sure that the dust and the ash stays out of it. I mean, everything from the you know drywall and the mudding and the ceiling and all this sort of stuff, like. You know, Alyssa and Finn, they just get to enjoy, like, the nice side of the house. But a few of us, we, get, we go into the crawl spaces. We have a few people who have gone into crawl spaces before. I, I never thought we had a few of you. Boy, don't recommend it. But, you, you, like, Alyssa doesn't even want to know what's down there. She, she wants to pretend like there is no crawl space. And, but isn't that how we kind of live our lives? And so... Ash Wednesday is an opportunity to go into the attics and the crawl spaces and do some work and to think about the hard stuff and to wrestle with the dark stuff and to wrestle with it. And yeah, you're going to get a little you know, dirt on your face and that's okay because that's part of the work. That's part of the, what we do here. And, and this is rooted in scripture, even though the, the phrase Ash Wednesday isn't in scripture. Ash and dust and dirt and is, is, is intricately tied to this pr- prayer and this process of lament. Lament being the prayers that we throw out to God where we're like, God, I don't like what's happening here. Please make it better. There's, this is wrong. And, and, and it's really... So uh, many of you probably heard the story of Job. Job is this beautiful, beautiful story. And you have to understand that, and I talked about this in the past, but Scripture is a collection of these books that are having a conversation with each other. And so Job is having a conversation with Deuteronomy. See, in Deuteronomy, uh, God, the, the Scriptures teach us in Deuteronomy that if you do the right thing, you will be blessed. That's what Deuteronomy says over and over again. Follow God, obey the law, do what God is asking you to do, and you will be blessed. And that's true. It's, it's very true. There's great truth to that. There's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is, is then we turn that into a math equation. Finn's learning math, so I'm learning math again. It's fun. Very useful math. We turn it into an equation, though. We say, well, you know, if we do good, we'll be blessed. Well, that must mean that if we're not blessed, we must have done something bad. Now, I don't know that that's necessarily what Scripture is saying, but that's what people started to believe. And so we get the story of Job. Job is given to us to represent the other side of this conversation. Yes, 
follow the law, do good, generally speaking, you'll be blessed. But what happens when you do all of that and you don't, you know, you, you do what God has asked you to do, you, you follow the rules, you're, you're a good citizen, and still things don't work out for you. I was thinking about this recently because uh, I got pulled over. And uh, yeah, I was not speeding though. I promise. I had expired tags. Now, when I say they were expired, like they expired in 2022. Okay, so I, I was bad. It was really bad. But here's what I'm, no ill intention to the government. I promise you from the bottom of my heart, I was not trying to take advantage of the government. I just honestly forgot. Me and, me and Alyssa call that the ADHD tax. And I uh, just, just didn't think about it. And also, to be entirely fair, when they needed to be renewed, someone was borrowing the car, so it was like out of sight, out of mind. And we were letting someone borrow the car, so give us a break. But anyways, $142 ticket. And we also have to get tags and plates, and it was this whole thing. But, you know, you're doing your best. You're trying to follow the rules, and things still don't work out all the time. You still make mistakes or things fall apart or whatever. And that's the story of Job. Job's like, I haven't done anything wrong, but I'm, I'm getting cursed that's the, he feels like he's being cursed, but he's not. There's like this whole other story going on in the story of Job that Job never finds out about, by the way. But the whole point of it is this. His suffering wasn't because of his behavior. And his friends, wouldn't t- friends wanted to tell him otherwise, that his suffering was tied to his behavior. But here's the thing. Job, he's, he's talking, he's, he's wrestling with this, and he has, it's just filled with poetry. And, and I want to read just a small portion out of Job 30. So this is near the end. He's had all of these different conversations with his friends who mostly are not helpful. We've all had friends like that. And, uh, and, and he, he finally gives like his final defense. He's like, but I haven't done anything wrong. I haven't done anything to deserve this. And, and this is profound, friends, because, yes, we can suffer, and that doesn't mean you did something to deserve it. That's the whole point of the story. And, and when you ask the question, what have I done to deserve it, it's the wrong question. You didn't do anything to deserve it. Bad things just happen sometimes. Life is just chaotic, and we don't always understand it, and there's a great mystery. But his friends are trying to convince Job that he must have done something to deserve it. Here's Job's final defense. He says, and now my life ebbs away. Days of suffering grip me. Night pierces my bones. It's actually be, his poetry is really, I was thinking about open, open mic night, and I was like, I just need to break out some Job for the poetry night. Night pierces my bones, my gnawing pains never rest. In his great power, God becomes like clothing to me. He binds me like the neck of my garment. He throws me into the mud, and I am reduced to dust and ashes. He's like, he paints this picture poetically. He says, God grabs me by my shirt and yanks me up and throws me into the mud and ash pit. That's what it feels like to suffer. He says, I cry out, God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but no, but you merely look at me. You turn on me ruthlessly with the might of your hand. You attack me. You snatch me up and drive me before the wind. You toss me about the storm. I know you will bring me down to death. Here's what I love about Job. We default in our suffering, I think, especially if we struggle with insecurity, which I know many of us do, that we must have done something to deserve it. And Job's like, no, this is God's fault. He pushes it back on God. He's like, God, you did this to me. 
Now, later he actually, I'll, I'll read later, he actually says, sorry, God, my bad. But he has the audacity to say, God, what's going on here? I have a friend, and we were, uh, mess- we were chatting on Facebook. It's actually a public thread. You could probably find it. And we were commenting, she's an agnostic atheist, and um, I'm a Christian. Uh, just, I don't Good to know. And um, so, you know, we were chatting about this, and, and she, was, she, just, she was really, like, just asking me, like, you seem like, uh, you know, you and your church seem like, you know, you're inclusive and you're kind and you, you love people, and, but, like, what, but other Christians are, like, really horrible, and you guys are studying the same book. How does that happen? Like, she just can't, she can't, mine just can't comprehend that we'd be looking at the same Bible or have the same book and, and come to different conclusions where she, she's like, yeah, your church is trying to be nice, but, like, a lot of Christians are just really mean. And, um, and, and, and I happen to know some of her story. There's, she's around some pretty horrible Christians. She's had personal experiences with some pretty horrible Christians, specifically around LGBTQ stuff. And um, so we're talking back and forth, and I'm trying to explain. And uh, I love where she ends up. She eventually is like, you know what, that's fine. You know, like I, I kind of say like, well, I'm personally trying to present a different version. And, and that's the best I can do is say, this is what I think it looks like to be a Jesus follower. And I think you guys are trying to do the same, right? Like, that's all we can do. And she said, that's all fine and good, but I feel like God should be doing a little bit more to correct his reputation. If God is real, then God should be trying a little harder to explain to the world that God is not like those people. For, you know. I actually was thinking about this, and I think it's pretty profound. If you feel like God isn't doing enough, get upset with God. Take it out. Take it to God. You know, what I love about this is I felt like I found myself in a position where I was like, you know, I can't really argue with that. I can do my best to represent God, but you're right. If God is real, God needs to show up in your life in some way to show you that that's not what it's like. And so instead of continuing the conversation, I just decided I would just pray. God, you know, you're going to have to, I can't change someone's mind. Things are going to have to be different. Something's going to have to happen miraculously. And here's the crazy thing. You know, when you're really hurting, I don't know if this has been your experience or not, and, and, and there's been seasons in my life where I go months in pain and distress, and, I've, and, I, and I just feel like God is distant. Um, and there's other times where I feel like God shows up a little bit more quickly. And it just, you know, I can't make sense of it. I don't know why that happens the way that it does. I had this crazy experience um, today. I was, I was with Delaney when it happened. <laughs> Someone called me. I'll tell you the story. I'm working on, I'm in my attic, you know, all the dust and dirt's getting on my, I'm in, doing some work on some HVAC. And uh, fun fact, I actually don't know how to install HVAC. Uh, yeah, but uh, I'm pretty smart. I can figure things out. So I'm trying to figure it out. And uh, it's not a complicated job. It's just, uh, it's, it's a, you know, it's a complicated job. But it's not that, you know, I, mean, I think it's not that complicated. And I'm, I'm like, I can do this. And uh, my house is so weird. It's like a Dr. Seuss house. So I can't really, some projects I can't pay people to do it because I've tried. And they tell me, no, we can't do anything for you. Um, so I'm like, well, I'm going to do it. 
So I'm installing some, just a, I'm installing a run. I'm hooking it up. And uh, I have two rooms without vents in them. And one of them is my son's bedroom. I was like, well, that needs to happen. And uh, it's not working out. You know, it's not, I'm not, I haven't figured it out. I'm, and I'm really overwhelmed by it. Because I know what you're thinking. Well, Joe, you shouldn't be doing that. And I said, yeah, I know. That's why I'm overwhelmed. I'm laying in bed at night and in the morning. God, what? I need, you know. And I'm praying. And I swear to God, I'm just praying. I'm like, I don't know what to do. I couldn't find the answers. Had this one particular problem. And I couldn't find the answers. And I was like, God, what? I need you to, because I'm, I'm unrationally distressed by it. You know what I mean? Like I'm just kind of worked up by it. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, this needs to happen. There's a deadline, all this sort of stuff. And I'm praying. I'm saying, God, please, just, you know, I'm just like trying to think my way into a prayer. Like, God, just give me the answer. Just give me the answer. I feel it coming. Um, and, you know, I sense a, a sense of peace. Um, and then I come to work, and me and Delaney are going to meet. And then I get a phone call, and it's my friend. His name's uh, Thomas. Thomas is installing insulation in my house. That's why there's a deadline. And he works for a company. Thomas is also the one, I shared a story at 11 o'clock. He, uh, we got the chat and he decided to come to church on Sunday. So I love Thomas. <laughs> he said he's going to come back on Sunday too. I told you you might check out Alyssa's church. He said he was coming here this Sunday. So, I mean, I feel like we won that one. But uh, <laughs> it's not a competition. Um, I'm just playing. But... Uh, Thomas calls, and I don't know if it was about the job we had hired him for or not, but I, uh, I pick up, and he's like, hey, Joe, how's it going? And I was like, yeah, you know, whatever. He's like, you know that HVAC you're, gonna, you're running up into the attic? Because he saw it. He came out and gave the quote. He's like, I was just thinking about that over the weekend, and I don't want to be nosy, but, you know, if you're going to do that, you really got to be thinking about X, Y, and Z. And I was just like, it was literally the answer I needed. What the world? It was crazy. And so sometimes God shows up. You know what? And sometimes we need God to show up in strange and unpredictable ways. And that's the beauty of prayer and putting it on God. Now, I'm not saying God's going to, you know, promise you. I'm sharing that story. That's the exception to the rule. Usually it takes a couple months at least, for something to happen to kind of help me reach the equilibrium and the, the peace that I need, you know, especially when this, the greater suffering, it feels like the longer it takes for God to show up. But, but what I have found and why I continue, isn't that ironic, though? The greater the suffering, the longer it feels like it takes God to show up. I don't know. There's, there's a book there. But all I know is I continue to trust God because when I need God, God continues to show up. And, I, I, and, and when God doesn't show up, somehow I find the community I need, the support I need, the grace I need to hold on until God shows up. And I can give you many, many other examples. I'm not one that is constantly, you know, like, I'm a pretty normal human, but I do trust God to show up when I need it in, in more profound ways than HVAC work. And that's the story of Job, too. Job would say that God took a little too long, but in the end, and, and that might be your story too, God, and that's been my story, God took too long, but eventually God did show up. And God says to Job, which is a hard thing to hear from God, God's basically, Job, who do you think you are? 
I created you and everything you see. I mean, if I was to summarize God's litany in response to Job is God's like, Job, it's complicated. He's like listing all the ways in which the world works together and all these different animals and creatures and patterns and weather and how they all interact. It's complicated. There's a lot of things going on here. It's complicated. And sometimes bad things happen and it's complicated. And, and Job kind of experienced, but through it all, Job experiences God. And this is one of the profound lessons when you put the ball into God's court and you push back and you say, God, I, I'm hurting. I need you to do something is you're more likely to experience God. You might not get your answers that you're looking for, but you'll get your experience. And that's what happens with Job. And so Job says this again. He references ashes again. I'm gonna, we're getting Ash Wednesday, I promise. He says this. He says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And that's the difference between knowing about God and experiencing God in your life. He says, therefore, I take back what I said and I repent, which means I admit that I was wrong and I, I try to live differently, I repent in dust and ashes. And so dust and ashes in Job's story and throughout the Old Testament was this way of recognizing that I am but a created human being who doesn't have all the answers, that my arrogance is wrong, that I, I can't figure it all out, that I'm broken. And, and I say, no, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on to the hope that I have and trust in you. And so ashes have long held as a means of repentance, a sign that we are not God, a way of saying that we are but a part of this amazing creation and that we are all very much connected. I mean, that's the beautiful phrase that we say on Ash Wednesday, from dust you came to dust you shall return, is another way of saying we are all connected and not just us, all of creation. From dust we came, to dust we shall return, and through all of this messiness of life, God breaks through and helps us to understand what it is. So here in a, in a moment, um, I'm going to invite you. I encourage you um, to take your time. Uh, you know, we don't all have to come out at once. Uh, there'll be, there's plenty of time. Uh, that way, doesn't there's not a lot of space up here. Um, but there's a couple of things you can do. You can uh, you can uh, have the dignity of choice to come and do them as you feel led. Um, Susan will be over here uh, offering communion here in a little bit, and so we've got this, and uh, we've got a candle if you want to light a prayer. Uh, candles have often been used as a way of representing what it means for uh, bringing light into the world and. And, and, and having a tangible way of representing a prayer. So if you have a particular prayer for yourself or for someone that you love, you can, you can use this and uh, but you can light that and, and light, light a prayer. And then over here, I will uh, be taking um, some ashes that were used from last year's palm branches, not ours, but, uh, um, but just in general from palm branches. And we put a sign of the cross on your forehead. Um, reminded you that from dust we came to dust we shall we come uh, shall return uh, repent and believe the gospel so I invite you as we prepare these elements I'd like to read um, some of the liturgy for communion um, 
Let us pray. God, we trust that you were able to work in and through us, that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to show us what it means to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to announce that the time had come when you would save your people. Jesus healed the sick, fed the hungry, and ate with sinners. By baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. When the Lord ascended, he promised to be with us always. In the power of your word and Holy Spirit, on the night in which he gave himself up to us, he took the bread, and he gave thanks to you, and he broke the bread, and he gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which has been broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup and he gave thanks to you and gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often you drink it as in remembrance And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice and union with Christ's offering for us. We proclaim this mystery that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. So God, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. We'll be playing some music and we and just encourage you to take your time and come forward and receive any or all of these uh elements as you feel led. Shall we? 
Thank you.